So two weeks ago, I posed the question to you whether you were a fan or a follower of Christ. And if you remember, uh, we define a fan as an enthusiastic admirer. We can think of a fan as two different ways. Uh, I, I tend to think of it as a fair weather fan or a hardcore super fan. A fair weather fan is, is a fan that, that uh, roots for a sports team only when they're doing really well. That's me when it comes to the Rangers. I, I didn't grow up in Texas, and uh, I'm not a big baseball guy. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, they, they went to the, to the World Series two years in a row. So it seems like every postseason now for the past two years, I'm rooting for the Rangers. And uh, I couldn't tell you, you know, who else other than Josh Hamilton is on the team. But if you were to ask me if I was a fan, I'd say, uh, yes, I'm a fan. And shake my head like this because I'm, I'm a fan. How many of us uh, know somebody that's a fair-weather Jesus fan? Maybe it's us. You'd ask them, are you a fan of Jesus? And they'd say, yes, I'm a fan, right? Some of us, we can think of the fair-weather Christian fans or Jesus fans as uh, being those that, that they, they love Jesus. Uh, you know, they, they pray when they need something. Uh, they come to church ever so often, maybe. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a fair weather Jesus fan. Maybe a, a little bit of knowledge about Jesus. That's, that's kind of a, a fair weather fan, right? Somebody that's kind of half-hearted into it, uh, going to wear the Rangers cap because you might go to the, the go with the church and you want to fit in with everybody else. That's sort of a fair weather fan. Then, uh, then there's the other side of fandom, the extreme fandom. And that's a, a super knowledgeable fan. I'm at church every time the doors are open, wearing my Sunday best kind of fan. The, this, this type of fan uh, has everything checked off on the I am holy checklist. A modern-day Pharisee, maybe. I hate to say a hardcore fan is a Pharisee, though, because if you remember, a Pharisee is, uh, was a, a very strict sect of Judaism. I always want to say Judaism, which is also correct, but my wife gets on to me, so I'm going to have to say Judaism. Uh, that's, that's what the Pharisees were. But Jesus spent most of his time in the Gospels kind of rebuking these Pharisees. And he also spent his time uh, kind of just schooling them on the finer points of a relationship with God. And so I, I hate to think of, of hardcore fans as, as being like Pharisees because they're, they're following the rules of Christianity because some of them don't have that Pharisee attitude of, I'm better than, than you. You know, sometimes they don't have that attitude. They're just a little misguided. Uh, this, is a, this is a picture of me. I'm, I'm the one, I'm in the very back with the S, with the long hair. Uh, you can see my long hair and my extremely thin body. Uh, my body hasn't seen better days since then, that's, that's for sure. I was a good 3% body fat. That was awesome. But anyways, these are, uh, this is me in high school. These are the super fans. This is my senior year in high school. And this is a group of guys, and there's a, there's a girl over there, and you can see an upside-down exclamation mark there in the very uh, left end. That's, that's when you run out of punctuation marks, so you have to, like, make up your own, or the, the Spanish upside-down question mark superfans. Uh, so that's, that's, that's a super fan for you. We were really good at fandom. We were super fans. We were so good at being fans at, at our fandom that we would get out in the stands and our whole, our whole town would end up doing our cheers and our chants. We would make up our own chants and the stupider, the better. We would try to make up the stupidest chants and get the whole town to sing it because we thought it would be funny. 
I'm embarrassed to tell you this. Actually, I'm not because I wrote it down. But I, I, uh, we, I'm going I'm to tell you one of our chants. And this is so stupid. And, you know, looking back uh, nearly 20 years later, this is, uh, this, is, this is pretty dumb. But we would get the whole town singing this. Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah for you. Hey, Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah for you. Hey, literally Jewish New Year, Jewish New Year, Jewish New Year to you. Hey. And the whole town would be singing it because nobody knew what it meant. It was, it was stupid. We were more, I mean, we were, we were, we were more than just fans. We were super fans. And we would get out, we would ask, we were asked to go out to the, to the football field because the, the cheerleaders would actually do our cheers because we would get everybody to do them. And so they ended up just doing ours, you know, like, oh, Blue Ridge. And then they're, They'd end up doing Rosh Hashanah, you know, but we would actually go out on the football field. We'd get invited and we'd come out there and it's, I lived by a ski resort, so it was really cold. I mean, it's freezing. And by the time our super fan group got really huge, you know, it's well into the, to the fall season where it's snowing and stuff. So it's cold. We'd go out there and we'd line up with our jackets on. We'd peel off our, our jackets and our chests would spell out super fans and BRHS, Blue Ridge High School. I mean, we'd have it all. And then the, the Spanish upside down question marks and all that stuff because we just ran out of things to write on our chest. And we had it all out there. If we used our creativity to, uh, to actually work out our extremely thin bodies, some of us, then maybe we could have been football players. I mean, we were out on the field. We were uh, part of a team, kind of. You know, we were a, a group. We were about as close as you could get to being on the football team. But we weren't. We were just enthusiastic admirers. We were super hardcore fans. Again, I pose the question to you, whether you're merely a fan of Jesus, almost out there on the field, whether it's a Fairweather fan or a hardcore super fan, are you a follower that's actually in the game? Are you an enthusiast? Are you, yeah, are you an enthusiastic fan of Jesus? Are you a blood, sweat, and tears follower? This is a tough question because it's easy for most of us Bible Belt Christians to claim Christianity as our faith, but not really live it out in our lives. We, uh, I mean, even that statement alone, it can be misconstrued. It's so easy to get sidetracked on living a, a good Christian life, following the Christian rules, going to church, Dressing really nice for church, possibly. Maybe not at this church, but uh, yeah. just looking at the light feet. I was, yeah. Look bad. You wouldn't be accepted in some churches. I'm just saying. I'm just but you are so welcome here because we love you so much. You're awesome. <laughs> Angela's like, Shh, don't say anything. Um, you know, we, we follow these rules of, of being a good Christian. And it's so easy because it's laid out before us. We're told, you know, this is how we do it as Christians. Uh, A real follower of Jesus isn't living by those standards, though. Instead, they're living breath by breath on the inspiration and the direction of Christ. They're following Christ, not following the rules. Are we living our own lives? Are we living a life that's completely surrendered to Christ? Let's go back to God's inspired word and see what Jesus wants from us. In the 14th chapter of Luke, Jesus is speaking to another large crowd of people. And by this time, Jesus had started gaining large crowds when he spoke. And I can imagine the kids wanting to imitate Jesus. We call it T-bowing now, but they just called it Christing back then. 
they named it after him because so, he was popular. In this chapter, we see that Jesus has allowed this large group to form and he knows that uh, they may all be there because of the miracle show, but he decides, uh, but he's, you know, he's okay with, with this large crowd up until this point where he decides it's time to, to split them up between fans and followers. Let's read, uh, starting in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus does it again. He has a way of splitting up the large crowds. And you would think that Jesus would love these large crowds so much that he'd be having two-for-one admission at the, at the gate and having his disciples hold up signs that say, kids, eat for free, anything to bring them in. But he doesn't. Instead, he weaves them out with an unapologetic statement of, uh, about the difference between being a fan and a follower. He says you have to hate your family. Wait a minute, doesn't that just contradict everything else that he talks about in the Bible? All of Jesus' words, doesn't that kind of contradict that? Come on, Jesus, I mean, what do you mean? Hate my family. This is why you, this is why you silence your phone, by the way. <laughs> nice. Hello? It's probably some advertisement. Uh, where was I at here? He hates, I mean, Jesus, do you really mean hate my family? What, what is that? We have to realize that in this culture, if you were to, uh, to follow Jesus, you're basically putting a, a cold shoulder to your family. Just like, because that's just not what your family wanted for you. Especially if you were Jewish. To follow Jesus would have been like, what? No, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to follow him. The word hate is defined as to dislike something intensely. Jesus couldn't possibly be asking us to hate our family intensely, could he? The New Living Translation of what we just read says, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters. The contemporary English version says, love me more. Probably the most accurate version of of this, uh, this scripture is to take both of those translations and, and mix them together. Jesus is saying, love me more, but hate is also accurate because it captures the degree by how much more we're to love Jesus than our own family. To better illustrate this concept, it's like placing your mom, your dad, your spouse, your best friend, and your kids all on a stage with Jesus for a popularity contest. And the idea is that Jesus wins the popularity contest. But what Jesus is saying to us really is that there is nobody else on stage with him. He wins first place. There isn't a second place. You get what I'm saying? There's nobody else in comparison. He's that much more, that much more than our our family, than our parents, than our spouse. There isn't a close second. There isn't even a second. So, is Jesus one of many, or is he your one and only? That's the question. Here's some questions to help us decide if if Jesus truly is our one and only. Number one, for what do you sacrifice your money? The Bible says that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasure in this verse is money, your sense of financial security. What is your treasure being spent on? Is it being spent on you? I haven't read in the, in the Bible anywhere where it says that 
God only wants you to spend your money on the bare necessities and then spend the rest on furthering his kingdom. But I haven't read the opposite either. He kind of leaves it up to us to find out where that line is on what we're supposed to do with our, with our finances. Uh, he tells us in James chapter 1 to take care of the widows and the orphans. Are we doing that with our money? By the way, Luke 12, 34 is where he's talking about the, the treasure and that being where your heart is. I have an older brother and sister, so much so uh, older than I, that, uh, that it's like I was an only kid. And you know what they say about the only child, that they're selfish and, uh, you know, they're spoiled. And to top that off, my parents were, uh, Steve's shaking his head. Are you saying that I'm spoiled? Okay, good. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, my parents, my parents weren't poor. Uh, you know, they were kind of old school misers and they had money because they didn't spend money, that kind of thing. Uh, matter of fact, I mean, I, I've had to, as an adult growing up in that, I've had to kind of change my mindset on how I am with my money, uh, in, in following God and how, you know, that works out. I can't even remember, uh, my mom giving t- more than $2 to charity ever. And that was only because they approached her on it. You know, this is, this is how I grew up. And so uh, trying to figure out, uh, you know, how God wants me to use my finances and the stuff that he's blessed me with is, is big. Um, you ever, have you ever seen that guy uh, on the, the off-ramp of the loop in 155 that begs for money? I see this guy nearly every day. Um, as I go pick up my little boy at Sandy's house, I... I you know, I, I drive by and I see him every day. And, I, and I'll be honest, I don't, I, I don't help him out every day. I don't, you know, I, I hardly do anything. And uh, probably, you know, since, since growing up, you know, I, I've probably maybe gave to somebody maybe once a year average. You know, we see this, these homeless, homeless guys begging for money. And it gets to be so commonplace that we just kind of move on. You know, we just kind of drive by them. And, and I even try to stop and talk to this guy sometimes a little bit. He doesn't really want to talk to me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I sometimes try to s- talk to him because I, I want him to feel like he's a person and that he's loved. And uh, not just give him stuff, but to say hi to him. And how's your day, you know? And, uh, you know, how are we doing today or anything like that, you know? Uh, I was in Austin last week and there's, man, Austin's like every other corner. There's somebody that's begging for money. And uh, I was I was there last weekend. A couple guys come up to my window, and and you know I felt at times I felt like rolling my window down, and going, I only support the local homeless in Palestine, but I would never do that. That's that's rude. <laughs> that would be inappropriate. Uh, but you know we we kind of wonder what it is. Uh, you know, if you were to give to someone that's homeless, what are they going to use their money for? If I gave if I gave that guy five dollars. Is he going to spend that $5 in a way that I find to be inappropriate? Do you not think that? I think we all think that. Like, I don't want to give this guy money and have him go spend it on drugs or alcohol or, you know, something else. You know, we, or we have this, this idea in our head that if I give you this $5, that it only should go towards food or, you know, something like that. I heard a preacher say one time that it doesn't matter what you uh, spend your money on. The fact of the matter is that Jesus told us to give, so you give. Luke chapter 3, verse 11 says, And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics 
is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Explains it right there. Maybe how we're supposed to use our money. Uh, the question that I asked you earlier was, how do you sacrifice or for what do you sacrifice your money? And when I think of sacrifice, I think of the word splurge. What am I splurging on? When's the last time you splurged on Jesus? Sometimes we, we don't, you know, we think, oh, I can give $5. You know, and maybe that's, $5 is, is a sacrifice for you. That's, you know, that we're all different. But when's the last time you splurged on serving Christ? When's the last time you splurged? Like, when I think of splurge, we just bought a refrigerator. We splurged on a refrigerator, brand new refrigerator. Lived in that house for four years and haven't had ice. <laughs> we splurged on the refrigerator. You know, that was something we, we saved up for. We kind of put it into another account and we, we were able to use that money on furthering our enjoyment of ice and water. But when do we splurge on Jesus? When was the last time we did something like that? Here's the second question. When you're hurt, where do you go for comfort? When you experience pain in your life, where do you turn? Do you go to your parents, your family members, best friends? Do you go to work and work your tail off so that you don't have to think about it? Do you turn to drugs, alcohol, food? Nothing wrong with some of those answers, some of those. God put our family and friends in our life for that purpose. But do these things have the potential to compete with Jesus for our devotion and affection? If our first response is to turn to something or someone other than Jesus, then maybe something's out of whack in our devotions and our affections are divided. Jesus is supposed to be our one and our only. Number three, what disappoints or frustrates you the most? This is a question that makes you uh, have to prioritize what's important in your life. Are there things in your life that are more important than serving Christ? This kid seems to be a little bit uh, out of whack. He's, he's disappointed about something that doesn't really matter. Watch this video. Fieldhouse saw all those down faces. And in fact, we talked to a high schooler who's been a big Butler fan all of his life. And he couldn't help but break down at this loss. You know, these... Sorry. These past two years have been a dream. You know, they don't know how you want, man, but... Still, a school like this, for 200 people... In the championship to the road. Oh, I'm sorry. I did a few days in my life, but I never thought that they'd be this far. It's, it's a dream, really. I mean, not the way he'd want to end, but there's always an excuse. It's emotional, huh? <laughs> nice. Oh, Butler. <laughs> this video makes me laugh because it seems so ridiculous that this kid's crying about Butler losing a game. You know, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It makes me laugh because that's some of us. How many of us get emotional over stuff that doesn't matter? <laughs> it's, it's sad is what it is. We, we put so much importance on things outside of the kingdom of God. And this happens. Our emotions are tied up with things that don't even matter. When your sports team loses, does it ruin your day? 
Seriously, how many of you had a bad day when the Rangers lost the World Series two years in a row? <laughs> yeah, or, or a bad week when, when, the, when the Mavericks lost in the playoffs the first round after winning it all last year. It seems pretty trivial. But how, much, how many of us, uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's uh, something that matters a little bit more. How much importance do you put into getting a new job? Where's your relationship with Christ when you don't get that job? Are you able to lay down your cares and concerns at the feet of Jesus like Mary did in Luke chapter 10? It can be hard to lay down our cares and concerns, but that's what he asked us to do. What are you placing next to Jesus in importance? Is he your one and only, or is he uh, just one of many? Number four, what is it that really gets you excited? When I, uh, when I, I lived in Houston before I moved here, and every year I would go to the, the Houston Rodeo and Livestock. And I don't know why, because I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a country music fan, and uh, I'm not a big fan of large animals and really tight wranglers. I'm just saying I'm not. Uh, but somehow I would end up every year going to the Houston Rodeo and Livestock Show. And uh, one particular year I went and saw, I think, Brooks and Dunn were playing. And, uh, yeah, woo, yeah. Yay, Brooks and Dunn. Mm. Yeah, I'm a fan. Uh, so anyway, they, they, uh, before the, the concert, you watch the rodeo. And it's kind of a short rodeo. It's uh, It's... Every night there's a rodeo or something. So, and then before the rodeo, there is uh, there was this tribute to the soldiers that were in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I'm a patriotic guy. I don't know how you guys are, but after September 11th, things changed inside of me. And uh, I, I never served in the military, but my family did. And and so you know I respect those guys and ladies that were you know soldiers. And so as they're doing this tribute, and I think they may have even prayed in the, in the Reliant Stadium, and, and, you know, I was moved by it. And then all of a sudden, Lee Greenwood started singing, I'm proud to be an American. And this is funny, but, you know, like, I'm, I'm by this time, I'm emotional, you know, about what's going on. And, and I literally think that Lee Greenwood's singing, I'm proud to be an American. I mean, I've been watching this kid, this guy since I was a kid singing, I'm proud to be an American. So I'm like, oh my gosh, Lee Greenwood's here singing, I'm proud to be an American. And all the young people here are like, who's Lee Greenwood? But I was, I was so excited that I realized about halfway through the song that he really wasn't there. They're just playing it. And so I can, I can imagine like in the stands that, you know, the, everybody's sitting there eating popcorn and talking during the song. And here's this, this guy, tears running down his face, his hand on his heart, you know, just making a fool out of himself because he's proud to be an American. That was me. That was, that was me. I was, I was that, that guy that you were making fun of that was on the, the, the big screen Tron or whatever you call it. And good thing it wasn't in the, like the, the Dallas Cowboys stadium because this huge guy is like, it's got tears. My eyes are red. But that was me. I mean, I was going crazy for it. And, uh, now, there's nothing wrong with being excited about something, and there's nothing wrong with being patriotic, but why am I so willing to tear up and be moved with excitement over something other than God? I had to do some soul searching about my relationship with Christ because of how much I was moved by other things. 
I've lost my voice several times cheering at a sporting event or at a car wash trying to drum up customers so that the kids can go to camp. But when's the last time that I lost my voice praising God? I've cried several times over the years over <laughs> Lee Greenwood songs, uh, over various things. But when is the last time that I, I shed tears over a lost soul? Because I felt the compassion that Christ has for those that are lost. Rarely, rarely. You guys hear the sermon? You come here every, every single Sunday and you listen to something. And I know because I'm back there usually too and I'm listening to Doug preach. Maybe it's here, maybe it's somewhere else, but we, we have a tendency to, to hear sermons because we know it's coming on Sunday. And it goes one ear and it comes out the other. But we need to wake up. Listen to me. We need to wake up. I don't want you to just hear this. I want you to apply it to your life. We need to make Jesus our one and only. I'm not comparing you with me. I just know that you're human. And this is a lifelong struggle. We have to continually fight the battle of placing the importance of Christ below other things in our life. We have to do some introspection, searching inside of our heads. Where are we at? What are we doing? What are we getting emotional about? What are we not getting emotional about? Is Jesus one of many or is he our one and only? Following Jesus means following him alone. Fans don't want to put Jesus in a special chair inside of their heart. Instead, they sit him on a couch and expect him to sit next to other things in our life. But Jesus doesn't want to sit on a couch and share you with other, other things or other people. Jesus wants the throne of your heart. He wants all of your heart. Remember, no comparison. There's no second place. In Luke 14, Jesus defines the relationship that he wants with you by making it clear that if we follow him, we follow him alone. He won't share us with our treasures, our families, our careers, or even our devotion to the rangers. You might hear this message and think that Jesus sounds possessive and jealous. But hear this. When Jesus says that he doesn't want to share you with other things, your devotions, your affections, he's not saying how he wants to be loved by you. He's making it clear that that's how he loves you. To be a follower, we need to understand what it will cost us. Let's continue in Luke 14, where Jesus gives us an explanation of why he would use such harsh language and separate the fans and followers. Starting verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus doesn't make any apologies. He wants people to be clear about what they're signing up for. Many of us have heard the gospel message and our churches have made it sound easy and appealing. I heard a story about a guy named John Oros, who was a church leader in Romania during the communist era. 
And he said, during communism, many of us preached and people came at the end of the service. And they said, I've decided to become a Christian. We told them, it's good that you want to become a Christian, but we'd like to tell you that there's a price to be paid. Why don't you reconsider what you want to do? Because many things can happen to you. You can lose and you can lose big. John said that a very high percentage of those people decided to stay and to continue and follow Jesus. And they signed up for a three-month class to help better understand the cost that was going to cost them. He continued, at the end of the period, many participants declared their desire to be baptized. Typically, I would respond, it's really nice that you want to become a Christian, but when you give your testimony, there will be informers there who will jot down your name. Tomorrow, the problems will start. Count the cost. Christianity is not easy. It's not cheap. You can be demoted. You can lose your job. You can lose your friends. You can lose your neighbors. You can lose your kids. You could lose even your own life. John wanted to make sure that every participant knew that if they were to lose everything, including their own life, that the risk was worth it. We're blessed to be in America. We're being, we're, uh, being a Christian, it doesn't cost us like it does in Romania during the, the communist era. But in another, another way, we're missing out because uh, we're missing out on that deeper understanding of what, of what kind of commitment it takes to be a Christ follower. Some say it's harder to be a Christ follower in Romania during this era, but I say it's harder to be a Christ follower in America where we don't, we don't need things like they do there. We don't have a cost. Nobody's going to kill us because we're a Christian. The Bible Belt Christians don't follow Christ because we never feel the need to follow Christ. We live in, <laughs> we're rich compared to other countries. We don't, we don't feel that need. We think we can just keep going without them. And so that deep commitment we never get to because it's not like you're going to lose your life. And, you know, if, if you were to, to pull us aside and say, okay, well, uh, you're going you're gonna to die if you don't follow Jesus. You know, m- most of us would stand up and go, okay. Because then we would start feeling that commitment. But because we don't have somebody risking our lives, making us lose our jobs, demoting us, doing stuff to our children because we said we're a Christ follower, we just never make that commitment. We never do. Well, now you know. For some reason... Our churches have been telling us that we can live our lives and then come into a church, hear a good sermon, decide to give our lives to Jesus, get our names written in the Lamb's book of life, and then leave and go back to our own lives. And I'm going to tell you it's not going to cut it. When Jesus asks for your life, he's asking for death. Death to your old life. Let's just say that uh, our life is represented by a $100 bill. We give God our life, and so we give God this $100 bill. It's like a one-time deal, right? That's how we, we generally think about it. That's like a groom giving a bride a ring on the wedding day, and then after the ceremony, going back and living single. There's more to marriage than just a wedding ceremony, right? Instead of thinking that we give God our $100 bill and we're done with it, 
we give God our $100 bill and he takes it and he says, this is mine. But then he gives it back to you and says, go get change. I want, I want you to get $100 worth of pennies and every day I want you to give me a penny. It's dying daily. It's a daily death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. That's the hardest part of being, about being a Bible Belt Christian. There are so many reasons not to die daily. But if you're a blood, sweat, and tears follower of Christ, you'll be giving up a penny a day and dying daily. Two weeks ago when I started the series, I asked you to, uh, to write on the back of your registration cards. And I didn't give you a real, a real clear direction on what to write. Uh, I, I told you if you'd like to, tell me whether you're a fan or a follower. Uh, is there something you like or dislike? I kind of just left it open for you guys. And uh, as I was flipping through the cards uh, that Sunday after church, I was surprised by the amount of people that said that they were followers. I, uh, I didn't look at who said they were a fan or a follower. I purposely didn't look and flip the card over when I saw that so that I wouldn't know. But I was surprised at how many people said they were followers. And I, I, I put my head down and I just, I, I felt like such a failure. Because I was surprised. There were so many people here that said they were followers. And I said, God, I, I must not have conveyed your message properly. If this amount of people in this room think that they're a follower, then I must have screwed up. Because this isn't easy. And if you said you were a follower, great. That's awesome. And I, and I pray that you continue on that walk. Um, Casey, I was telling Casey about this last week, I think. And I said, man, there's so many people that said they were a follower. I don't, I don't think that people are getting what I'm saying. I think I failed. And he said, I think maybe that you conveyed when you were talking to them about, do you want to be a follower? And some people put, follower because they said they want to be a follower. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But I don't, I don't want you guys to, to think that this is an easy thing. Dying daily and being a blood, sweat, and tears follower is not easy. It's so hard. And like I said, it's a lifelong struggle. It's not something that we do. We raise our hand at the end of a sermon and give our life to Christ and then we're done. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. Every day we have to choose to be a follower. So today I'm going to do things a little bit differently. And uh, I'm going to ask you to do something that's not easy. Most of us, we like to fit in with the crowd. We don't want to stand out. But what I'm going to ask you to do is if you're willing to die daily, if you're willing to, to be a blood, sweat, and tears follower, if you've decided that this is the life I want to live, I want to live my life completely, totally surrendered to Christ. I want to be a follower and not just a mere enthusiastic fan. If you're, if you're feeling that way, then I'm going to ask you to stand up. But I don't want you to stand up if you want to be like everybody else. And I don't want you to stand up if you think that people are going to judge you for not standing up. 
This isn't an easy choice. If you really, really want to die daily, that's cool. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for everybody here, whether they're standing up or not. God, I just, I I thank you, Lord, that they're willing to make this commitment to you. They're willing to stand up and be doing something that's not easy. This is just the first step, God, and I I thank you for their willingness. God, I just ask you to bless them, help them to die daily. Get inside of their head, Lord. I pray that everybody here will just, all week long this week, Lord, that they'll just be thinking about whether I'm a fan or a follower. Just get inside of them, Lord. Just mess them up. Show us where we could be different. Show us where our emotions should be. Show us where our finances should be. Show us what our treasures, our family, where we should be when we're a follower of you. God, I just love you so much. I thank you for the opportunity to to die daily for you. You're so worth it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, sit down. Maybe you decided today that, you know, you're not a fan or a follower. You just haven't had enough. uh, Like, I don't know what the benefits are of either one of them yet. And that's fine. I just invite you to keep coming back. And uh, we're going to be here next week. We're going to be here the week after that and the week after that. We're going to continue opening this place up to be a, a safe haven for you. If you haven't made that commitment yet to follow Jesus, that's fine. Keep coming. We're going to try to show you the benefits.